Welcome to the Prairie Heights Podcast. Thanks for listening today. I hope it motivates you. I hope it builds your faith and helps you connect with Christ and a church family here at Prairie Heights. Enjoy the message. Hey, welcome everyone to Prairie Heights. So good to be together today on this Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Give it up. All the women influences in our lives. I'm so fortunate to have been surrounded by uh, many exceptional women my entire life and still am. Uh, I also am so blessed. I was raised by just the most compassionate, the most kind, the most loving mother um, who really led with a servant heart. Uh, I believe, and I have said it to her, I'll say it again, uh, God made her to be a mom and I'm so lucky. And uh, you should all be so thankful because I am who I am because of her. And she's in the house today. So mom, would you stand please and give her a big round of applause. She had to put up with a whole lot, friends. When I was a teenager, I, I, wow. Then I went to college and I made a lot of hopped up bad decisions and no one is more thankful I found Jesus than that woman right there. <laughs> uh, don't we all though have women in our life that have impacted us? I know that um, as, a, as a mom and even before I became a mom, I prayed and my husband Kyle and I, we prayed circles around uh, having a child and it took us longer than we thought it would. The journey wasn't exactly how we pictured it in our minds. And so we know the waiting that can happen in that journey. Um, we also know the, the pain and the sorrow of having lost a child uh, in between our eight-year-old and our three-year-old. Um, we had a miscarriage after our first kid and so we know the pain that comes with that loss. We also know what it's like to raise two wildly different children. And it's like, how does that happen? Like, we're the same people and these two kids are like so opposite. Well, it happens because my husband and I are so opposite. And so our son Ian, he's quieter, more introverted, very observant. Um, uh, he likes to build things, very curious, very cautious. So he's a lot like Kyle, a lot like Kyle. They even like sit the same way, like they cross their leg. It's the weirdest thing. Anyway, <laughs> side note. And then our daughter Isabel, the redhead, she's like fiery and animated and loves life just like her mother. And the challenges though, right, of like the dynamic of all that can be a little much for all of us. <laughs> And uh, just like us, maybe, I'll make some assumptions, we just have a beautiful mess. And maybe you have a beautiful mess too um, in your story or in your journey. And here's the truth though, that even in all of that, like I know that there's plenty of scenarios that I can't relate with. I know that today for some of you, this is the first year that your mom is no longer on earth with you. And there's so much grief and loss that comes with that. I know that for some of you, you are still waiting and praying and yearning to be a mother. 
and you're in the waiting and it's a not yet and you're praying that God can hold you in that. No matter where you're at today as a woman specifically, I just hope and I pray that today you feel the presence of Jesus, that today you feel so loved by the only one that matters and that's God, that you feel seen and how you might be feeling today, what you might be carrying, how you might be feeling about yourself. And I pray that you know of his unconditional love for you. So today uh, we're in week number two of our series called Lead the Way. What does that mean? Simply put, it means lead like Jesus, to lead like him. And Doug Peters, our executive director, he opened up our message series last Sunday and he talked to us about What does it mean to love God and love people? And then he talked about uh, leadership and that leadership um, or the influence. What did he say? He told us, now I'm like, now I'm not sure what he told us. He told us that leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less, and that we all have influence. So that means that we're all leaders, right? And so if we're gonna take on that responsibility, if we're gonna receive and be aware of that responsibility of being leaders in this world, that's a grave responsibility that we have. Doug introduced us to our key verse for the series and it's John 14, six. And the disciples were asking Jesus some questions and Jesus answered them and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What Jesus was explaining is he was explaining why he came to earth as fully God and fully human and who he came to save. And he came to save everyone. And see, the truth is, is that Jesus came so that we could restore our relationship with God, our heavenly father. And so when Jesus came to this earth as fully God and fully human and walked with us and felt like we felt, And then he was uh, brutally beaten. He died on a cross and he rose again three days later so that we could be restored with our heavenly father. And if today you are someone who's put your faith and trust in him, you've, you've said with your heart that you believe that, that you believe that that is who Jesus is and you're a follower of Jesus today, here's the other part of that equation, friends. The other part is that when we choose to follow Jesus, that decision in itself should impact the way that we lead and the way that we lead at work, the way that we lead at home, the way that we lead in our community. And so I'm so excited today, I'm gonna focus on leading the way at home. Leading the way, meaning leading like Jesus at home. And I know for many of you, um, when you take the picture of what your home looks like today, maybe you live at home on your own, you're not married, you don't have kids. And I just wanna encourage you, this message is for everybody. This message is for every single one of us because I believe that no matter what, God has a message for you. And through the story that I'm gonna tell today and the message that I have, I believe that specifically, it directly impacts our relationship with other people. For sure, I'm gonna give examples of what that looks like at home, but it definitely impacts all of our relationships with all the people that we impact 
during our days and during our weeks. And so first, before we kind of get into that, why does leading well at home matter? Like, why does it even matter that we lead well at home? Like, isn't it good enough that we just go out in public and give our best out there? Like, isn't it just okay that we go to work or we go out to the grocery store or wherever we might spend our like Monday through Saturday? Like, isn't it okay if we just give our best outside our home and then we can just come home super drained and like we can just come home with no energy to give at home? I'm being sarcastic and I know you all know that. But why, then, is it so important that we lead well at home? Well, a hugely influential leader and pastor, Charles Spurgeon, he was born in the early 1800s, so we're going way back, and he understood this. He understood the importance of leading well at home. Get this, like his impact and legacy, it revolved around his unwavering belief in Jesus Christ. In his lifetime, he got to be a part of 15,000 people getting baptized. He also was a part of, he decided he wanted to start a college so that pastors who wanted to become pastors could have a free place to go to college to fulfill their call in ministry. That's incredible. Many of his teachings and his writings were translated to many different languages so they could be around the world. And here's why he said leading at home really matters. He said, take care of your character in the home for what we are there, we really are. I'm gonna let, sit in, let us sit in that for a second. Take care of your character in the home for what we are there, we really are. How does that sit for you today? And my prayer for you is as we kind of wrestle with this tension that today is, as we not only hear a message of hope, but that we are a little bit challenged, is that when we sit in the quietness of where we might be today, behind the scenes, at home, in the only place that we can't hide, that the people who are there see everything, that we would be reminded that there's hope for different. If you're in a place where you read that and you think, ugh. And I also know that there's many of you today that, that you can be encouraged and you can say, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing a good job. I'm doing a good job of this. I'm pouring all my energy and all my time into my kids and it's going really well. And that's a good thing. There's another wonderful leader. She's an author, a wife, and a mom. Her name is Sandra Stanley, and she's Andy Stanley's wife. Andy Stanley is the lead pastor at North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia. It's one of the largest churches in the United States. And he and his wife, they've got three adult kids, and they just wrote a parenting book called Getting It Right. And Sandra says this, and it's just spot on. She says, your presence on the sidelines or at the dinner table sends your kids the message that they matter, that they are worthy and that they are valuable and even interesting to you. Yes, you love them in your heart, but for them to grow up knowing it, 
For them to feel it, you have to love them on your calendar. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? It's like, you know, there's a lot of times our, our younger, when our kids are younger, they aren't gonna come to us and say, hey, can I get on your schedule? <laughs> right? But how important it is for us to recognize as moms and dads that to find delight in and to be interested in the things that our kids are interested in and to make time in our calendar and our schedule to love them with the things that they love. And I get it. I get it. We live in a household, uh, my family personally live in a household where we've got two uh, high capacity working careers, a farmer and a pastor. And we've got two kids who like, you know, under eight, when you've got an eight-year-old and a three-year-old, but when they're like five and, let me do the math really quick, five and one or five, yep, five and one, five and infant, it's like you're just running around with your hair on fire half the time, just putting out fires. But no matter what age our kids are, finding out what's important to them is so important. And so I'm gonna talk about today, how can we model Jesus' love with our families at home? How can we model how to love like Jesus in our home with our families? And translate this into whatever circumstance or stage of life you are in, I believe without a doubt, it's gonna be applicable. We're gonna look at a story in the New Testament. It's a historic story of Jesus and about him and some friends. And it's, I would say, as I get into the story, and if you're familiar with it, you might wonder for a half a second, why did she pick this for Mother's Day? I thought that too, as I started going. But I bet by the time we're done, you're gonna say, I get it. I understand why God, through the work of his Holy Spirit, has us looking at this specific story in scripture today. So grab your Bibles if you brought one, pull up on your phone uh, the Pray Heights app, and you can go and you can follow along with the scripture. In John 11, one through seven, that's where it starts. It says this, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So what John is doing is he's giving us some context to who this Mary and Martha is and that it's the same one that Jesus visited with often and that Jesus was good friends with this family, with these two sisters and this brother. Jesus would have stayed in their home at different times and so Jesus would have been very close with these three people. John goes on to say, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. They're like, hey, Jesus, your friend Lazarus, he's sick. And they want him to know that. In verse four, it says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. See, Jesus knew the end of the story. And then he says, no, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus knows in that moment when he heard Lazarus was sick, he knew that God was gonna use this story so that people would believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is the, the son of God. In verse five, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Hold on a second, rewind. Like, don't you read that and you're like, Hold on, let's read it again. 
Here's what I'm thinking and feeling as I read it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. When you love someone and you hear bad news, what are you likely to do? React, right? Like react immediately. And it says Jesus loved them. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What? Like, why didn't he go to him immediately? Why didn't he drop everything and run there and get there as fast as he could? Because Jesus knew the end of the story and he knew how God was gonna use it and he knew it was gonna help people to trust him. But it's interesting, verse seven says, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. He knew their pain, friends, but he chose not to respond immediately because he knew the end of the story. Do you have any pain happening in your home right now? Is there any pain that you're facing Maybe it is the pain of waiting for a child that you've been praying for and trying for. Maybe it's the pain of watching one of your kids make decisions that you just wish they weren't making. Maybe it's the pain of your marriage and the reality of of where you're at, but you've been praying for different. And one of you is faithfully following Jesus and the other one is is curious about it, but not sure. And, And that tension just sometimes just eats you up. Are you feeling any pain today in your home? When we think about any of the pain that we might be facing and we think about God's timing and we think about this story and Jesus and he heard this news of his good friend who's sick, but he knew the end of the story. And so he just stayed where he was at. See, God's timing, friends, especially in his delays, especially when God delays answering our prayers, we think that he's not listening. We think that he's not gonna answer. And sometimes he doesn't answer the way we want, so we think it's it's not him. Here's what I want us to remember is that God will always meet all of our needs according to his perfect schedule and his perfect purpose. So if you have pain going on in your home today, God wants to meet you in that. And how do we lead our way through that? I wanna keep reading John 11, eight and 10, right, right after they, Jesus says, hey, let's go to Judea. And they said, but Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you wanna go back? They're saying like, hey, don't you remember? They're trying to kill you. <laughs> like you want all of us to go back there? They're gonna kill us all. We don't wanna go back there. And Jesus answered, he says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. Jesus isn't talking about walking during the day or walking at night. What he's really talking about is a spiritual issue. What he's saying to them is he's saying, when you walk in the light, the way, Friends, when you lead the way, Jesus's way, when you walk in the light, Jesus, that means you give up self-reliance. That means what you know about God translates to trust and belief in God. And when you walk in the light, you are walking in trust and you are walking in faith and you are walking in peace. But those who choose to walk in the dark, the night symbolizes the absence of this knowledge, and it also symbolizes self-reliance. 
How do we lead the way at home? We give up our self-reliance and we trust Jesus. What circumstance do you need to trust Jesus in today? How can we model Jesus' love with our families at home? Number one, we can pause before responding. Jesus said, I'm gonna hang out for two days. I'm not going right away. I love them, but I'm gonna pause before responding. Where do you need to pause before responding? Where do you need to say, hey, I need to go to the other room before I answer to your spouse? Or you need to say, I need to pause and think about that. Or before you lash out at your kid or, or you change your tone with your kid because you just cannot take, mom, 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 One more second. I feel it, friends. Just yesterday, I was like, if I hear mom one more time, I'm putting in my resignation. Where do you need to just pause before responding? Pause before responding. Because here's the response that you need to reflect. Is your response filled with self-reliance? And like feelings are coming up in you, so you're gonna respond out of that? Or is your response gonna be filled with a whole lot of Jesus' love and compassion and strength and comfort? Let's keep going in the story. John eleven seventeen through 35, it says this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So Lazarus had died. Jesus got there. He'd been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And so because part of what happened was because Jesus waited, all these people came to bring comfort to Martha and Mary. And so there was a larger crowd that would have been witness to what was about to happen. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. In verse 21, uh, Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Martha's saying, hey, Jesus, why'd you wait? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But then there's a but. So like she expressed her feelings. She expressed her frustration. She said, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She believed in his power and his authority. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Martha didn't quite understand what Jesus was saying. And, and Jesus is like, yeah, that's true. But guess what? Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's a question for you today. Do you believe that? that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you will live eternally with him in heaven. That is the only way to heaven, is placing your faith and trust in him. There's no amount of good deeds that will get you to heaven. Martha says, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into this world. And it's crazy that Martha had this kind of faith because for context, in a different setting, when Jesus was at their house, Martha was too busy. 
Martha was too busy doing all the things to prepare the meal. And Jesus called her out one time when he was at their house and he's like, hey, Martha, stop being busy. (laughs) And friends, don't we oftentimes get real busy with things that don't really matter? We get busy doing when Jesus just wants to be. We get busy doing when our spouse just wants to sit with us. We get busy doing when our kids are just craving our attention and to be seen. And Martha said, I believe you are who you say you are. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When, Jesus, or when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then in verse 35, Jesus wept. And friends, Jesus didn't weep because of his own pain or sorrow. Jesus didn't weep because of his sadness. Jesus wept because of their sadness, because Jesus knew that Lazarus wasn't gonna stay dead. I'll tell that in just a moment, just a few minutes. I'm gonna tell you the end of the story. And Jesus knew that he was gonna bring Lazarus back to life, but he wept anyway. He didn't weep for his own pain, he wept for theirs. He wept because he loved these people who loved their brother and their friend, and he cried with them. That's powerful. That's a God and a Jesus who cares deeply about every detail of our life, friends. It's called empathy. And I believe if there's one thing that we could grow in, in leading the way in leading like Jesus, it's through empathy. So what is empathy? Before I get to the definition of empathy, uh, the second way that we can model Jesus' love is to pause to have empathy. We can do what Jesus did. Jesus came to bring Lazarus back to life, but before he sat with them and he wept. And he had empathy when he didn't have to. Friends, he could have came on the scene and he could have been like, what are you crying for? I'm here now. I'm gonna come and I'm gonna save and I got it and, and don't worry about it. And why are you wasting all those tears? Stop crying. You're fine. I'm fine. Lazarus is gonna be fine. Have you ever been there though? Have you been the one to be like, you're fine? You're fine. You don't feel all that when a, 
when a spouse is crying or when one of your kids are crying for whatever reason, it, it may be rational or irrational, and your response to them is you're fine. What happens is when we miss empathy, we miss people. We miss their heart and we miss connection. One of the greatest uh, leaders of our day right now, Brene Brown is a well-known leader, author, speaker on this very topic of vulnerability, shame, and empathy. She's a famous TEDx speaker, a global leadership summit speaker. She's a wife, a mom, a best-selling author. And here, I want you to hear her explanation of empathy. And you're gonna see it in a cartoon form, but her voice is behind it. Take a look. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no. You want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. What makes something better is a connection. It's being on a heart level. And how does this relate to our home life? How does this relate to parenting? It relates in every aspect. Because when our kids are hurting, whether it's physically or emotionally, mentally, maybe they're even hurting spiritually, and something's going on with them, they're going to react out of that. And our ability to empathize with them in those moments to pause, to have empathy, are so important. This is one of the areas that Kyle and I are just trying so hard. <laughs> and we probably fail at it more than we get it right. But it's those moments where Isabel is running like crazy around the house and then she jams her knee into a corner and she just loses it. And she's crying and crying and crying for an extended period of time. And, and she's very animated. And so what it looks like in our home is like, <laughs> this is part is funny, not the part that she hurt herself. She will run around and if she hits her knee and she's crying, then she'll run over to a couch and she'll like, just like her whole body feels it. Everything in her feels it. And you know what our like response wants to be is like, get up, Izzy, you're fine. But do you want to know what that does? Do you want to know what that actually tells her when we say, hey, Izzy, you're fine. She's crying and she's hurt, so she's not fine. 
It doesn't matter what we think. She's not fine. And when we tell her she's fine, you know what that actually tells her? She says, it tells her your feelings don't matter. Your feelings don't matter right now, therefore you don't matter. And I know that that's not what we're trying to do as parents, but that's what happens. And then, they, and then it starts to tell them, I won't share my feelings next time because it's not a safe and secure place to share my feelings. So this is really important, friends. This is really important because when we meet our kids' emotional level, they feel safe and secure. They feel validated. They feel seen. They feel known by us. They don't just feel brushed off. I came across this quote this week, another one, it's from C.S. Lewis, and it says, children are not a distraction from more important work. They are the most important work. And I'll say, when I read it, there was, there was both conviction, but there was also then celebration. Because I would say years ago, when I was in the midst of, of just a really hard season and I was emotionally depleted and I was coming home with nothing, nothing left to give to an infant and a toddler or to my husband. I behaved in a lot of ways that would have said, kids are a distraction. My kids are a distraction to what I actually need to do. And that could have been need to do around the house or need to do for my job. And um, God's helped me a lot with that. And as I have prayed and been reminded how much I prayed for these kids and um, the thing that God's really been helping me with recently, and it came out of a conversation with a friend uh, just a couple weeks ago that gave me clarity to what I was struggling with in those days, is I was struggling with the value of motherhood. And I was struggling with how valuable motherhood is. And I was placing career and performance above the value of motherhood because I wasn't seeing that as value. And God's helping me. He's helping me like fall in love with my kids all over again and see the value of motherhood and to realize that that is the most important work we can ever do is raise kids who love Jesus. And so just the other week, um, uh, Ian wanted to try track and so I signed him up for track and I got to sit in the stands and we were there with my parents and Kyle was there and Izzy was there and she's running around and we were with other friends that we saw there and, and we were cheering Ian on in his first track meet, trying something brand new, which is not his personality. And I walked away from those three hours and I thought, wow, God, thank you for those three hours. Like God put in my heart and my soul like this feeling of I don't wanna be anywhere else but cheering on my son. I don't wanna be anywhere else doing anything else, thinking about anything else than being right here, right now, cheering on my son in something that he wants to do. And I pray that the days moving forward, you have moments like that if you're a parent, that even today in the, in the struggle of maybe some tension or maybe you had a fight before you came to church or maybe you will later today, maybe I will later today, <laughs> that you remember the value in being a mom and the value in being a dad and how important that is. All right, we gotta find out what happened after Jesus wept. 
what happened. In John 11, 38 through 44, it says this, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance, and he said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is like, take the stone away. And Martha's like, it's gonna smell bad. Jesus is like, I don't really care about that. Do you want him to come back to life or not? (laughs) It doesn't matter if it smells bad. Isn't it funny how sometimes we just get in the way or we forget about the trust that we need to have in Jesus, we question, and it's okay to question. It's okay to question, because God can hold all of that with us. But the part I want us to, to remember is what he says in 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Where do you believe today? Where do you believe that God's not done with your story? Where do you believe that God has more for you, has more for your marriage, has more for your kids? Where do you believe that God can show up in the mess of your life? In 41, it says, so they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up before he did anything, friends. He looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. Before Jesus stepped into a miracle, he thanked God and gave God all the credit. And he said, I'm doing this on your behalf so all the people would know who you are and how much you love. Then Jesus says, He called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out and his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Who they thought was dead is no longer dead. When Jesus arrives on the scene, he brings us comfort. He brings us peace. He brings us healing power and authority. And so friends, when we look about how to model Jesus' love with our families at home, we need to pause before responding. We need to pause to have empathy and we need to pause to thank God. Here's the thing, Jesus was never in a hurry. Jesus was never in a hurry. Today I want you to pause in the midst of your circumstance pause in the midst of your story and I want you to know God's not done. It's not over. He's just getting started and he can bring anything that's dead back to life if you invite him in. And that's the part we can't miss. Moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandpas, grandmas, part we can't miss is we can't do any of this without God. I can't lovingly connect with my kids and feel what they feel without God. In the, in the most, I can, I can do that to some extent on a practical, real level, but without God, I cannot do it when I don't want to. I can't do it And I don't want to do it out of my own power. I want to do it out of the Holy Spirit power. And so friends, we need Jesus. 
We need Jesus. So that more often we can pause before responding. More often we can pause to have empathy. More often we can pause to thank God for his faithfulness in our lives. So I've asked Eric to come and he's gonna play the song, Lord, I Need You. And we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing that song together. And, and I pray that God meets you in that story. And I pray God meets you in that journey. And I pray that right in the middle of whatever you might be facing today, we can remember that we need Jesus to make our way through. So let's stand and let's sing this and then I'm gonna come back and close us with prayer. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I found my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my Oh God, how I need you. 
Your voices, friends, are so beautiful. God hears you. He hears every prayer of your heart. He hears every need that you have. And so I invite you to close your eyes and I'd love to say a prayer blessing over you. God, we need you. God, we need your loving power. God, we need your Holy Spirit movement in our lives. God, we, we need you when we wanna say things we shouldn't. We need you when we need to practice loving our kids with our feelings. God, we, we need you in all of our relationships. We need you, God, to show up and give us comfort and peace and love and grace and direction. And Jesus, we, we need you to become fully the people that you've called us to be. So God, we need you and we love you. And everybody said, amen. All right, well, my mom and I say together, happy Mother's Day. We love you. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Thank you for listening. A special thanks to those of you who give generously to Prairie Heights. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit prairieheights.com give for more information. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or even take a screenshot and share it on your social media and tag us at Prairie Heights. Thanks for listening and God bless.